0: Hello again, welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug, I'm a pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church in Shelton, Washington, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I want to thank you so much for listening today, and that you can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. It's been a couple months since I've been at this chair. During the height of the pandemic, this podcast was a weekly thing that I did this fall, I've been pulled in some new directions here at Faith, including some exciting partnerships with some churches and nonprofit agencies who now share our campus. Feliz Navidad, y'all. Still, as we approach Christmas Eve and the new year, I wanted to offer one more podcast message in 2023, this one for the fourth Sunday in Advent, which is also Christmas Eve day, December 24th, 2023. And this is based on the gospel reading from Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38. In this passage, the gospel writer Luke sets the stage and the stakes for the miraculous, prophetic, improbable birth of the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Savior of the nations, Jesus. And it all begins with the courageous faith of a young, poor, unwed girl named Mary. So we'll take a look at virgin birth, angel visitations, the names of Jesus and why these details that Luke includes were so important then and now. And we'll conclude with some ideas about what the Spirit might be saying to us now, including practical ways to apply God's Word this Christmas. So please dust off your Bible, open up to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, find verse 26. Let's pray, and we'll dive in. This prayer is verse 4 of a Christmas carol called, O Little Town of Bethlehem. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. This is from the NRSV. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was much perplexed by these words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to you will be born holy. He will be called son of God. Even now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has conceived a son. This is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's get started. It says the virgin's name was Mary. Well, let's ask the question, why include this detail? What's the big deal about her being a virgin? Well, let me suggest three or four possibilities. The first is a rather obscure prophecy story that's found in Isaiah chapter 7 in the Old Testament of the Bible. There's a king in Jerusalem named Ahaz. He's quaking in his boots about a particular upcoming battle. A prophet named Isaiah comes to him and brings assurances to the king, saying that God would give Judah the victory. And the sign of this victory, he said, was that a virgin would give birth to a son. And by the time that child is eating solid food, God will have given Ahaz the victory over his enemies. So Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says this, The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And Luke and the other gospel writers connect that prophecy to Mary. She will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the second reason why this detail might be relevant is to allow for, I guess you might call it some divine DNA. We confess that Jesus is true God, son of the Father from eternity in the small catechism. And then also truly human, born of the Virgin Mary. The Gospel of John chapter 1 describes it this way that he's born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God. And so the angel Gabriel tells Mary that the power of the Most High will overshadow her. This is just like the cloud that overshadows Moses on Mount Sinai when God meets Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments. Others say that virginity represents her purity and innocence. And still others say that the virgin, her virginity represents her vulnerability, her low estate, just how far down she is on the pecking order. To recall her virgin status is to remind us that when the Son of God enters the world, he will be raised by a frightened young homeless girl and her husband. They are immigrants and refugees. Matthew says they travel all the way to Egypt and back, while Jesus is just a tyke. That Mary is a virgin teaches us that when God comes into the world, God chooses to make a home with the least, the last, the lost, the lonely, and the left behind. Now let's talk about the angel Gabriel. Less is known about angels than many people claim to know. Angels are messengers and seem to be, at least sometimes, heavenly creatures that visit earth occasionally to do gig labor for God. Gabriel is one of two angels given a name in the Bible. Michael is the other one. Some have wondered if Satan is some kind of fallen angel. All that's to say that angels are a thing. We just don't know a lot about them, and that's okay. I suspect that there are angels all around us all the time. There's a story uh, in the Old Testament, a prophet named Elisha once opens the eyes of his servant so that the servant can see what Elisha sees, even briefly. And that's the heavenly armies and chariots of God surrounding them, protecting them from their enemies. I suspect that the angels singing at the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem, well, they were there all along. They were singing the whole time, and frankly, they've never stopped singing, and they've never left. It's just that we can't see them. So here we have Gabriel appear to Mary with news that God has a big task for her. Blessed, bless you, O blessed one, he says. Don't be afraid, he says. Then he tells her that she is blessed, favored, chosen, destined to become a mother of God and a queen of heaven. I wonder to this day how often angels are talking and singing all around us, but we just can't see them or hear them. Virgins, angels, how about the name of Jesus? Mary is to name the child Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, like the Joshua who succeeds Moses, who leads God's people into the promised land. The same Joshua who, if you sang the Sunday school song that I did, fit the battle of Jericho. The name Joshua or Jesus means the one who saves or God saves. And this new Joshua, Jesus, will save his people from sin and will lead God's people into a new kingdom, not of geography and borders, but a heavenly kingdom without end. A kingdom in which, as Mary sings about later in Luke chapter 1, the rulers of this world will be brought low and the humble will be lifted up, the hungry filled with good things, the rich sent away empty-handed. It's an upside down kind of kingdom. And Jesus, as both son of God and son of David through Mary, will have sovereignty over it all. When Luke writes this, he knows how it all plays out. He's writing this in maybe about 80 AD. Luke is writing this after Christ has already died and risen. The the Holy Spirit has already been unleashed at Pentecost. The temple in Jerusalem has already been rubble for a decade. Luke has watched the Holy Spirit give birth to the church and spread the good news as far away as Rome. He's witnessed firsthand how the Spirit of God is no longer tied to a building in Jerusalem or to the rules of the Jewish faith, but in all the people of God under the authority of the crucified and risen Christ Jesus. Luke's good news then and now is that the kingdom of God has come near. Christ has died, the church proclaims. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And it all begins, says Luke, with the courageous faith of a virgin named Mary. So to wrap this up, let me leave you with three takeaways. One has to do with with how the spirit empowers women. Another has to do with how Bethlehem is in the midst of battle. And the third one has to do with angels all around us. The first takeaway is how Luke emphasizes the role of women in the gospel story. Elizabeth and Mary are named and given voice while their husbands remain silent. A prophetess named Anna is the first to preach the good news of the Christ child. Luke tells us about how women were followers of Jesus and that these women were the first disciples to find the empty tomb and to tell the others. Luke is the one who tells us about how both women and men are filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and and that they, they go on to serve as leaders, pastors, apostles, and evangelists in the early church. From the Virgin Mary to Mary Magdalene, from Damaris to Dorcas, from Phoebe to Priscilla, from Tiger to Brenda to Hannah. You see, here at faith, we know that the Holy Spirit can and does speak to and through all of us, regardless of gender. And that means whoever you are, you have a voice, a calling. You have the spirit. You have everything you need to bear Christ into the world, just like Mary. The second one. I think about that, that prayer that we pray, O holy town of Bethlehem, and sadly things never seem to change. Luke tells us that Joseph and Mary were compelled by the government 2,000 years ago to leave their home and travel to Bethlehem. Mary was well along with child when they left, and Jesus was born while they were holed up in a barn in Bethlehem, a faraway town. Sadly, 2,000 years later, the people in and around Bethlehem, pregnant mothers and anxious fathers, children and women, young and old, Christian and Muslim, are once again being uprooted from their homes, forced to be refugees in their own lands, their lives threatened every day by warfare and violence and politics as usual. I read in an article from the Associated Press that many Christians in Palestine will not be celebrating Christmas this year. After all, 20,000 lives have been lost in just two months. Their neighbors, women, and children. And so Christmas joy for these Christians have been, has been replaced with grief. Church leaders in Palestine say that traditional tree lighting has been replaced with fervent prayers for a just and lasting peace for our beloved Holy Land. Uh, There's at the Evangelical Lutheran Christmas Church in Bethlehem, the article says. They're displaying a nativity scene this year where a baby Jesus figure is wrapped in a black and white Palestinian headscarf and is lying in the rubble. We see Jesus in every child that's killed, says their pastor, Reverend Munther Isaac. And another Palestinian in the article makes this plea, When you sing, O little town of Bethlehem, he says, remember that Jesus was born in my hometown. And so my second takeaway for you is this. Today, Faith Lutheran is united with the Christian church around the world in condemning this violence. We are united with the Christian church around the world in rejecting and refuting the so-called dispensationalist theology that promotes this bloodshed as God's plan for some kind of fulfillment of biblical prophecy and precursor to the end times. That's a long sentence. We refute and reject all that. (laughs) And we fervently pray for a ceasefire, for an end to the senseless cycle of violence, and for a just and lasting peace. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come, Prince of Peace, we pray. Come, hope of the nations, and forgive our warring ways. And finally, this passage invites us to entertain angels and to believe in Christmas miracles. May you and I have eyes to see, like Elisha, And have faith like Mary to say yes to God. May your word in me be fulfilled. Folks, this is our hope at Christmas. Jesus Christ rules heaven and earth. Angels are all around us. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on you and me, old women and virgins, fathers and sons, Lutherans and Catholics, Palestinians and Israelis, rich and poor, young and old, and everyone in between. God is always coming into the world bringing about a lasting and enduring kingdom of peace on earth as it is in heaven, with goodwill to all. And so I end this message with the same prayer with which I began. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, Oh, come to us, abide with us. O Lord Emmanuel. Amen. Thanks for listening today. To learn more about the gospel or how to get connected to Faith Lutheran Church, go to our website, faithshelton.org. I've got a couple years worth of sermons stored up in the We'll Preach for Food podcast. We also live stream weekly worship on Facebook. All those links are there at our website. I'm grateful to Chaz for helping me with this podcast and I want to wish you and all the people of faith a very Merry Christmas and a blessed new year. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor as God looked upon Mary with favor. And may God give you peace. May God give us all peace. Amen. Amen.